2015, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau told the world that Canada is back. Well, in the six years since, he has embarrassed the country over and over again, and Canada is more significant than ever. I'm Candice Malcolm, and this is The Candice Malcolm Show. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. And as we get closer to Christmas, we like to take a step back and take a broader look at the country, look at some of the deeper themes as the news cycle slows down a little. And we are doing that today. I'm delighted to be joined by a member of parliament, a conservative member of parliament, Garnett Jenis. Garnett is the MP for Sherwood Park, Fort Saskatchewan. He was first elected in 2015, has been re-elected with more than 50% of the vote in every election since. In parliament, he has been a vocal proponent for Alberta's interests in Ottawa, fighting back against the carbon tax and advocating for more Canadian oil and gas. Garnett currently serves as the Conservative critic for international development. In his time as an elected official, he has prompted a return to Canada's principled foreign policy and has gained a reputation for being a tireless advocate for human rights and religious freedoms, both domestically and abroad. So Garnett, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you, Candice. It's uh, great to be with you and, and have this conversation. So I, I want to talk about foreign policy and we will get there, but before there's just one question that I really want to ask you about a recent bill that was passed, it received unanimous consent and uh, passed without a vote in the House of Commons. And I'm talking about the government's bill on what they call conversion therapy. So I know that you ran a campaign on this topic. Everyone, you, you, you said everyone in theory um, opposes the idea of conversion therapy. I think that the name of the bill uh, was, was called conversion therapy because it elicits such a negative response when people hear about it. They think of a sort of outdated cruel practice. And, and, and yet your criticism of it was that the bill was too broad and too vague. <clears throat> and, and because of the vagueness and the broadness of the wording, it could actually have a negative impact on, on freedom of speech. It could ban just normal conversations between uh, teenagers and their parents, between qualified therapists, between uh, members of their church. If, if, if someone seeks on their, on their own, uh, you know, freely seeks to go get counseling, that could actually be banned by this law. And yet, um, you know, when it, when it came through the House of Commons, all of the conservatives um, voted in favor of it. This is after twice opposing the bill, and from best I can tell, it hadn't been rewritten and, and those definitions hadn't been changed. So I, I want to ask you your opinion on this bill and why is it that the conservatives stopped opposing this bill? Uh, sure. Well, um, I guess a little bit of, of the context. Um, I think, uh, you know, in general terms, uh, you describe my position on uh, this issue well. I, uh, I'm opposed to conversion therapy. I support uh, efforts to ban conversion therapy. I think when we legislate, we need to look at uh, the, the definitions that are given to that terminology. If you, if you ban something that everybody agrees should be banned, and yet you define it in a way that um, that is uh, incorrect in terms of the way people conceive of the definition, uh, then you've you've ended up banning something other than the thing you you set out to ban. Um, I use the analogy in the house: if you say we're gonna we're gonna um, ban hard drugs, I'm with you. If you call coffee a hard drug uh, through a through an error of the definition, then I'm then I'm gonna be uh, not with you. So um, this is this is something that. Uh, you know that I, I think it's it's a it's a pretty clear thing to point out to say hey like let's let's analyze the bill let's look at the definition used in it um, and uh, in particular in the last parliament I spoke about the need to fix the definition in then Bill C six uh, because the issue was that uh, the definition included um, 
it, it was broad enough to include even private conversations, not involving a, a therapist or official person of any, or just just a, a, a conversation. And it was broad enough that it, it defined as conversion therapy, any effort to reduce sexual attraction or behavior. Um, so I think a reasonable inference from that is that like a, a conversation in which a mentor tells a young person um, that they should modify their sexual behavior in some way, um, that that would be construed uh, under the definition as being conversion therapy. And that's obviously not what conversion therapy is when when people who I mean, many people aren't aren't aware of this, but when people people who are aware of conversion therapy, they uh, they understand that to mean acts of, of violence, coercion, uh, degrading. De someone efforts to sort of compel a change in uh, in sexual orientation it's um, uh, you know it, it, those 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 are our methods that were uh, sort of experimented with at, at, at times in the past and look they're wrong they're degrading they're evil and and also they don't achieve the the stated objective um, so it's, it's it's a bit of a language trick on the government's part to say you know if, you know if you if you if you are if you're in favor, if you're against this bill, then you're in favor of conversion therapy, allegedly, um, but then demanding a lack of scrutiny around the the definition. Um, you know, Ken, as you asked some questions about about process, uh, just I'll just share with folks that um, you know we're gonna, we're going to be talking a lot about uh, foreign policy. I I was in Europe for NATO and OSCE e meetings uh, last week, uh, and I'm sure we'll get to just the the emerging security concerns in. Uh, uh, in Eastern Europe, as a as a result of the aggressive posture that Russia was taking, I was um, I was invited to be part of of a, a parliamentary delegation that was present for those meetings. And um, to be honest, I would not have expected uh, the process that was followed before I before I went on the trip. Um, I I didn't expect to be to be missing votes uh, and. Um, so I've had some conversations with colleagues about, you know, how how this unfolded, but I I can't really speak to the process piece because uh, those are things that I either wasn't uh, involved in, or to the extent that I know about them, uh, I know about them because of uh, because of private conversations I've had with other colleagues. Well, it's interesting because you said that it's a word trick, and it's with the definition. The media bought right into it, so the whole idea was, oh, there's these 63 conservative MPs who support this harmful practice called conversion therapy, even though you ran a campaign that was pretty clear um, called change, uh, Fix the Definition that, that said that you were opposed to literal conversion therapy, but you were not in favor of this bill because of the, the wording. So we saw a lot of dishonesty across the board. And I, I think for a lot of conservatives, it was just strange to see um, you guys abandon a bill that you had previously, uh, uh, abandon opposing a bill that you previously had a, a, a really strong opposition to, and then just sort of, uh, you know, having this, I guess, feel good moment, not where everyone agrees, which is not really what you want in your parliament, you want um, opposition. But yeah, let's move on. So why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, what, what, what you're working on with regards to NATO and the aggression of um, the Russian government towards Ukraine? Well, so uh, last week uh, I was uh, I was in Latvia for a couple of days uh, on on the sidelines at the uh, NATO summit that was happening there, and then I was in uh, in Stockholm uh, for the where the OSCE summit was, and a lot of interesting conversations uh, with respect to to the situation in Eastern Europe. I think it's important for more people to know 
uh, just about the the important leadership role that Canada is playing as part of our NATO mission in Latvia. And this is something that obviously has the support of uh, of all parties, uh, being uh, being an active participant in NATO, being part of that uh, NATO NATO forward presence. And um, uh, you know, if you uh, if you go to Holland, there's a lot of there's a lot of gratitude, of course, to Canada for the role we played in liberation during the Second World War. Uh, in Latvia, there there's a lot of recognition of Canada as well for the fact that we're leading a, a battle group there, and um, you know, full full credit to our our armed forces for the incredible work they do around the world. Um, sometimes uh, not with the level of, of resources from uh, from government that uh, you know certainly we've we've talked in the past about about increasing our um, our our, uh, our our defense uh, in, engagement and and moving towards that uh, that NATO target of, of two percent of GDP. So um, so so uh, there, there's a lot of awareness of the fact that there's a, a Russian military uh, buildup, increasing uh, Russian military activities, um, and you know, con concern about uh, what steps uh, maybe maybe taken next by Russia, and I I don't think that'll be uh, new information uh, by uh, to to many people. But I, I just think we need to we need to really take seriously the the possibility that that uh, the Putin regime are planning something, and uh, we need to reflect on uh, on our and NATO's level of of readiness to respond. So, so maybe you can walk us through a little bit more details because I, I think maybe some viewers don't know uh, what, what specifically is Canada's involvement when it comes to the operation you're talking about in Latvia, how many troops do we have there, and what specifically uh, is the Trudeau government doing uh, with, with regards to you know, the, the, the aggression that we might be seeing from Russia? Yeah, so so there's, uh, there's a mission in enhanced forward presence, uh, the idea of, of having uh, uh, more NATO countries present, uh, uh, providing a level of, of reassurance in um, in NATO countries that are um, that are sort of geographically closer to uh, to Russia. So uh, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, and and Poland. And uh, there is a um, there are, are various countries involved in in each of those missions, and there is a country that is leading each each battle group. So. Um, you know, uh, the UK, the US, Germany, or the other other nations leading battle groups, and, and Canada's leading the battle group in um, in in Latvia. Uh, so um, we're we're present there. Uh, we're, um, we're we're part of of leading that mission. And there's there's many other countries that are involved and that we're uh, we're cooperating with. And um, I mean, I think there's there's a lot of benefits uh, to that that operation. I mean, the obvious one in terms of demonstrating our our readiness and our solidarity with NATO. Uh, members, uh, um, but but it's it, look it's it's also a great opportunity for um, for our you know various NATO countries to work together, uh, and I think I think the battle group in Latvia is actually the largest in terms of the number of countries that are that are represented. Um, so so it's uh, it, it was interesting to hear in the briefing just about that that breadth being something that uh, the Canadian Armed Forces uh, is able to do really well, which is which is collaboration with other NATO partners and. And building that uh, large multi uh, multinational force, um, you know, I, I think the 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 concern around action that Russia would take, uh, I should say that the Putin regime would take, would be specifically uh, into Ukraine. And uh, in in uh, the sort of side meetings I was a part of, um, there's a lot of discussion about this question of of uh, of NATO enlargement uh, because you have. Uh, 
uh, you have uh, Ukraine, you have Georgia, countries that uh, that uh, that the Putin regime is is uh, interfering in in various ways, uh, and that don't have that kind of security blanket of being part of uh, part of NATO. On the one hand, uh, Russia complains about the enlargement of uh, of NATO, but on the other hand, uh, they don't. Um, you know, they they uh, they take advantage of of uh, of countries that are not covered by that security blanket, and they're more likely to uh, to intervene and interfere there. So uh, this is um, this is a, a concern, obviously, and I think we have to think seriously about what kind of response we would we would uh, we would undertake if we see the kind of Russian aggression that a lot of people are talking about as being a, a realistic possibility. Uh, you know, probably it would be it would be further aggression in Ukraine beyond, of course, the ongoing occupation and and uh, and issues that are happening there. So one of the things the previous Harper government was known for was sort of a refusal to bow down to uh, other countries, especially bad actors and adversarial nations. We saw Harper uh, once stand up directly to Vladimir Putin. He uh, stood up to the Iranian regime by uh, kicking out their diplomats, and he, he even stood up to the United Nations. Uh, Justin Trudeau, you couldn't have a more stark difference between that and Justin Trudeau. Justin Trudeau uh, said that he admired China's dictatorship. He shook hands with Iran's foreign minister just days after Iran shot down a civilian um, airline, Flight 752, murdering scores of Canadians, um, including uh, students and children. Um, it, it, you know, it, during your time uh, as an elected official and MP Garnett, uh, do, 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 have you seen Canada's reputation change on the world stage? I know Justin Trudeau uh, liked to say that he was bringing Canada back, that the foreign policy diplomats were all, uh, you know, applauding when he when he was elected and uh, first entered um, the foreign affairs building. Um, but 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 on the ground out in these uh, missions that you go on and 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 working with uh, our allies, ha have you seen a change in, in Canada's reputation? And uh, what uh, how how has Canada's reputation changed? You know, thanks. That's a that's a really important question. And and look, um, as a as a member of the the loyal opposition, I'm obviously a, a proud Canadian, and I want to see uh, Canada do well. And I'm particularly proud of our uh, our armed forces and uh, the courage that the uh, women and men in uniform show as as part of the various missions that we're we're a part of. And uh, and sometimes not getting the uh, political support that they uh, that they should have. Um, you, you talked about Stephen Harper. I, I think one thing that that really came out to me. Uh, talking to various people in, in Eastern Europe was was sort of thinking about that trajectory of uh, Putin aggression. Uh, that uh, it, the the kind of uh, there were there were various uh, human rights issues and aggressive actions taken uh, within the the territory of Russia itself. Uh, one critical step, um, I believe, in two thousand eight. I might be off a little bit, but I believe in two thousand eight where. Uh, Russia invaded uh, Georgia, uh, and um, this this is, has um, perhaps lessened the conscience of people in Canada. We have a cl closer relationship with Ukraine, uh, but um, I think there, there's, there's a consensus now that uh, basically there was a there was a lack of meaningful response uh, to to that act of Russian aggression in in Georgia, and uh, there was sort of a perception in the Putin regime that they could could get away with that. Um, in 2014, uh, in the context of Russian aggression in Ukraine, uh, there was a much stronger, if anything, sort of stronger than expected response from the international community in terms of showing support for Ukraine. Uh, that 
response on Ukraine uh, was substantially, I would argue, driven by Stephen Harper's leadership uh, within the, the G7. Uh, and Canada's firm just refusal to accept a return to uh, sort of 19th century so-called great power politics in which big countries can bite off chunks of small countries at will. Um, we, we have to assert the, uh, the principles of international law, uh, the, the, the sovereignty of states, the principle of self-determination uh, against this kind of, uh, this kind of uh, might makes right narrative. And Canada did that boldly, decisively, uh, and uh, you know Stephen Harper, being uh, well respected, uh, the senior member of the G7, uh, was um, was was able to uh, maybe say things that Europeans or Americans at the time were unwilling to, to say, but ultimately uh, to pull that consensus uh, towards us. Now, I think when you are a um, you know, when you're when you're somewhere in between a, a superpower, uh, pardon me, when you're somewhere in between a superpower and and uh, and and very small, when you're kind of a at that at that middle level as, as Canada is part of many international organizations, um, you know, you the degree to which you're listened to really depends on the strength and credibility of your of your leadership. Um, the U.S. people have to listen to the U.S. regardless of what they think of the the present of the day because of its its uh, its size and and geopolitical importance. Uh, Canada is the sort of country where um, where where we have an opportunity to be heard, but uh, it's not inevitable that we will be heard or that we will be we will be listened to. And uh, I think what I what I see, and you can I can see this quite clearly from the Biden administration, its posture towards the the Trudeau government is. Um, you know, do, doing all the kind of nice things and photo ops, but but not really uh, taking our concerns seriously, uh, not really responding to them, uh, and uh, and and I I think Canadians have this perception of our of our prime minister as kind of in it for the image and and not being that serious about the substance, uh, and I think uh, look look Canada as a country still has a great reputation around the world, um, but it is very hard to imagine. Justin Trudeau playing the same kind of leadership role today uh, as uh, Stephen Harper did on uh, on, on Ukraine. Um, that that leadership re required a willingness, yes, to work within multilateral frame frameworks, but to lead and to be the first out of the gate and to and to pull other countries towards us in terms of the process of building consensus. Uh, I, I don't think I, I don't think uh, we are we are likely to see that kind of leadership uh, from Justin Trudeau. We we, we certainly haven't uh, in the past. It's been interesting. You talk about Russia. You can look at maybe China, another another uh, important uh, geostrategic challenge that, that that Canada faces. And um, obviously, the Trudeau government uh, came in uh, promising this this golden age of of relations uh, between Canada and China. Uh, and um, and now what we've seen is is like a shift in some of the rhetoric, right? The the, the liberals the liberals are adopting some of the language of conservative foreign policy in, in some of their, the, the way they try to frame what they're doing, but we're not seeing it in the substance. Uh, we're, we're seeing a shift in posture, but not a shift in substance of our foreign policy. And that's, that's a big concern. Well, I, I do want to get to China, but uh, before we do, just quickly, there, there, there was an announcement not too long ago um, of a new submarine deal between the UK, the US and Australia. And when, when I saw that news, Garnett, and I, and I read the details, to me, it was like, 
okay, we used to have this agreement called the Five Eyes, and it was it was Canada in that mix and New Zealand as well. And here we have this new, uh, you know, groundbreaking technology and this this you know next generation deal that 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 Canada was just completely left out of. So I'm wondering if you could comment on that specifically and why Justin Trudeau, why uh, under and under Justin Trudeau's leadership, Canada wasn't involved in those discussions you talked about not uh, meeting our 2% uh, NATO uh, requirement, uh, that, that seemed to be perhaps an opportunity to at least in, uh, push it in that direction. If we were to make investments in, in um, submarine technology, icebreakers in the north, why, why isn't Canada involved in these conversations? Well, um, I think it's a it's an important question, and it's a question we've asked. So we have an opportunity as as members of Parliament to submit something called order paper questions, which is uh, you know people are when they think of, of of questions in Parliament, they think of the cut and thrust of question period, which is obviously one one great opportunity. But we also submit written questions, which are um, which are are usually kind of detailed requests for information, uh, and it's 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 harder for the government to to avoid. Uh, Providing providing answers to those, so so um, although they they still find ways of doing so, so um, so I've submitted a, a a question specifically on AUKUS, uh, the the UK uh, US Australia deal, uh, asking was Canada part of discussions, uh, was Canada invited to join, would Canada be interested in joining, um, and I'm I'm hopeful that uh, that within the deadline of that question, the question the response will have to be submitted when Parliament returns in January. At that point, we'll be able to see. Uh, what the what the response is, um, but but look, I mean, obviously this raises some some red flags when we see kind of within the Five Eyes some members of the Five Eyes uh, establishing agreements. Which um, I mean, there 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 are going to be some aspects of of for instance U.S. Australia cooperation that are going to focus on specific theaters where we're where we're less present. But there's uh, there's a lot of elements of the AUKUS deal, some of which I think would be um, would be very relevant to uh, to Canada. Um, and shortly after that, I think people people noticed the uh, the the interaction between uh, between President Biden and the Prime Minister of Australia, in which he said the U.S. has no more reliable friend and ally than Australia. Um, which I think, you know, from a Canadian perspective, is sort of like seeing your spouse out for dinner with somebody else. Um, you know, Biden has described his relationship with Canada as the easiest relationship. Um, so it's, it, it, it is interesting, you know, Trudeau has, has sat across from three different American presidents. And I think a lot of people were willing to give him a pass on certain things with Trump because they, they perceive Trump as a, as a, as a tough customer. But, um, when, when you have, uh, two, two democratic presidents, uh, and still, uh, really a failure to achieve results and, and mean gaps in terms of ability to cooperate uh you start to wonder you know maybe 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 our current leadership is missing something in terms of of effective engagement of our allies well so so our relationship with the u.s i mean it, it, you, you shouldn't be seen as being easy if you're if you're Canada. you should <laughs> Bargain, you should still uh, make demands, whether it be pipelines or uh, you know exemptions to made in the USA tariffs. Um, that, that that should be an easier relationship because we have so much in common and we share so many uh, mutual values. Um, so, so 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 compare that with you know, seeing Trudeau have very few results with our uh, greatest partner and ally, the US. Uh, and then juxtapose that with with China, where you have an adversarial regime, you have a, a terrible um, offender of human rights, you have um, a, you know a country that is is acting more and more belligerent um, on the world stage, and yet 
you we have Trudeau failing to negotiate a trade deal, uh, waffling on Huawei and, and, and how, how we're going to deal with them, um, not really standing up in the way that many wanted to uh, see with the two Michaels who were arbitrarily arrested. In the US, we see um, both Democrats and Republicans in agreement um, about China's aggression and um, the need to build up their own domestic economy so that they're less reliant on imports from China. Um, Canada doesn't seem to have an appetite to, to implement um, some of the same trade restrictions against China. So I'm wondering if you could comment both on the foreign policy side uh, with China and how, how Trudeau deals with them and how, how he ought to deal with them in a different, different way. And then uh, also address the issue of uh, trade and, and whether we are too reliant on, upon China, whether we ought to be uh, building up more of our own domestic or at least North American um, manufacturing base so that we're not reliant on, on China um, in the future. Yeah, so I, I think on, on the trade piece, uh, it's maybe important to distinguish between the question of, of trade in general and the question of strategic dependency. Um, you know, trade, you know, you can, you can engage in commerce, um, Without being in a position of of, um, of strategic vulnerability, where there are things that you are going to need at critical times, and uh, and that access could be managed by um, by an authoritarian political actor for their own strategic uh, strategic reasons, right? So we saw that a little bit with COVID, with the, with the vaccines, as well as with PPE, that we were reliant on China, and they they didn't really seem to to care, and they didn't really seem to be reciprocal in, in terms of following through on agreements that, that we had with them. Yeah, certainly, it, be, it became evident through the study we did at the Special Committee on Canada-China Relations in the, in the last Parliament that, uh, that that there were political decisions aimed at Canada in response to to political factors, and uh, there is there are there are many advantages to focusing on on uh, expanding free trade among free nations, rule of law nations, where um, you know where where uh, contracts are, are formally enforceable and um, and there can't be threats made against uh, judges business people and 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 so forth um, it doesn't mean we we can't and shouldn't trade with countries that, uh, that that don't share our values I mean I think there are there are good arguments for both the economic benefits but also the potential just engagement that can can flow from that but uh, separate from the question of trade in general we we have to be attentive to this question of of strategic dependency uh that that came through the the pandemic and um and uh you know it, it, we see it in other issues as well i know during during a recent uh, trip to eastern europe a lot of um a lot of people are are interested there in questions around energy security right and and we, we should should to think about the role that Canada can play uh, as a as a, an exporter of energy resources in uh, in supporting energy security because that's another uh, one of those uh, those strategic strategic uh, commodities and points of strategic vulnerability for certain uh, for certain like like minded countries. Um, on the sort of relationship with with uh, with China in general, um, how we kind of relate to the Chinese government, I think for a long time the Trudeau government has just been very naive. Uh, they've they sort of assumed that if you're if you're treating someone in a certain way, that they will uh, reciprocate that uh, that that treatment. And um, we've seen in in response to I think very effective work in the last Parliament, again through the special committee on on Canada-China relations being a, being a big part of it. Um, the it, many many of the government's failures on this and, and and failures in perception have been exposed, and that has forced certain changes in tone and language. Uh, the um, 
the U two U.S. administrations actually have recognized the Uyghur genocide. Canada's parliament has recognized the Uyghur genocide. Uh, the government has has failed to provide that recognition. Um, in terms of our own domestic security, right? Uh, we haven't we have not uh, recognized yet the the security threat posed by by Huawei. The government says its decision with respect to Huawei is still. Uh, Still pending, so um, there are these there are these key issues of substance: uh, protecting our own security, defending our own interests, standing with our allies on issues of human rights, where Canada uh, needs to step up and and has not stepped up yet. Um, and I would say just protecting our own security is in in this context is a, is a particularly urgent priority. Uh, the biggest security threat facing Canada right now is foreign state-backed interference in our country. Uh, the the sort of silent invasion uh, that one one Australian writer uh, described, where um, where the institutions of of, uh, of of a foreign state, you know, rather than rather than rolling up uh, with with tanks and flags on a beach, uh, are seeking to uh, to to bring institutions in other country un countries under their control. And, um, and, and, and we really need to wise up about this and, and respond to it more effectively. Well, there, there have been, uh, there's been several books written about uh, Chinese spies and in, in, um, infiltration into Canada. Uh, we saw it uh, flare up not too long ago in Vancouver when um, there were, you know, high school kids fighting over, um, you know, the invasion of um, or the, the changes of law in Hong Kong that will give China more autonomy. We see uh, pro-China rallies in, in Vancouver frequently. So uh, unfortunately, that stuff is definitely happening in Canada. Well, Garnett, I really appreciate your time, really appreciate all your uh, expertise and, and shedding light on all of these issues to help us uh, get a better understanding of what's happening, uh, it, you know, inside Canada's uh, foreign policy um, area. So, so we really appreciate you coming on the show and um, wishing you a very Merry Christmas to you and your family. Well, thank you so much. Merry Christmas to you. And I'll maybe just say in, in conclusion that these foreign and security policy issues, um, they're, they're not often top of mind for Canadians. Um, but when something goes wrong in the world, uh, they can they can move from low down the list to the top of the list very, very quickly in terms of their significance and their impact. So uh, obviously, uh, you know, conservatives are working hard to hold the government accountable on the economy, on inflation, uh, on uh, on justice issues, on domestic freedoms issues. Uh, but these but these foreign foreign affairs and uh, and security issues, uh, they they have the potential to have a, a very significant impact uh, on our on our lives. And it's important for us to be vigilant and asking the government questions about about what their their plans are. So again, Merry Christmas to you and thanks for the opportunity. All right. Thank you so much, Garnas Janet MP for the Conservative Party. I'm Candace Malcolm and this is the Candace Malcolm Show.